it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey guys, welcome to The Tapping Go. My name is Matt. My name's Freddie. Each week we bring you your rugby fix with interviews with past and present rugby professionals and we get their views on the latest sporting issues. Welcome back to the Tap and Go Series 2. We're here to give you your rugby fix in a fun and relaxed way. We've got a Tap and Go firstie today with our first Olympic medalist on the podcast. He's captained the England Sevens side on multiple occasions. He won silver at Rio 2016, bronze at the Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast in 2018, was also being vice chairman of the Rugby Players Association, a true England Sevens icon, Phil Burgess. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. So I guess during this whole quarantine break and everything, um, you have to stay fit, especially as a professional rugby player. What have you been doing personally to maintaining? Sort of yeah, fitness? so I mean, my sort of fitness regime changed slightly halfway through quarantine because at the start, I didn't really have any equipment or anything like that. So everything that we were doing um, here at home was all like band related body weight, um, trying to find heavy stuff to lift and things like that. And, um, there is only so many times you can do maximum amount of press ups. Um, and so it got to a point where I thought, right, I'm going to have to invest in some, um, some gym equipment, which I thought potentially long-term might, might do me well, because you never know when you're going to join a gym or anything like that. So it was a case of, I got halfway through the sort of quarantine so far and I thought right I need to change because I was just getting bored it was no no reflection on what we were trying to do and what we were trying to achieve from the program but you know doing I think at some point you were doing like 70 press-ups in a row and you were like it wasn't so much that it was the the actual press-ups that were annoying it was like the right I'm just gonna keep going and keep going and then you stop and then you, you know and it's just a bit of a change up but but no that, that's kind of what I've been doing find something heavy at the start and then I invested in some gym stuff after that so obviously one of the big things that's come out in the last couple of days or so is that the idea of England, Scotland and Wales combining seven sides. I was wondering what your view was on that. For me personally, I think it's something that they should have done post-Rio um, just for Olympics-based um, sport. You know, the Olympics is the biggest um, uh, thing in our sport. And if it's going to stay, and, and hopefully it will post-Tokyo, the, the programme is a Great Britain programme. It's not an England or a Scotland or a Wales that go. 
you know, there's always going to be trouble if it's going to be one nation that go. It's going to be a combined programme. And and I think they should have sorted it out after Rio, um, but they didn't. And I think it's got to a point now where they're almost forced into a corner a little bit because of situation and finances and all this sort of stuff. Um, and I think it would benefit the programme. I don't know whether it would benefit individual nations and I don't know how they'd use it. And obviously I'm not paid to make those decisions, but from a player's perspective, I can see how it can work. You know, going you know, going on the circuit and playing as Great Britain, you can have the best players. I mean, fortunate enough to be in there in Rio. You have the best players making the best training sessions, which meant that you came out of it fitter, better, and you were a better player. And I think if they were doing that for a year or two, that would only benefit the squad. Um, and, and my biggest thing with it, actually, and sevens is is a um, is is one of those sports that injuries happen all the time. You know, first game you get injuries, second game injuries, all that sort of stuff. Is you can get lucky, you can get through a tournament and not lose players, um, and you know, and then you get to the final or, or whatever, wherever you are, and you've got fit twelve man squad. But imagine if you lost, I think like New Zealand for example, New Zealand at the Rio Olympics, they lost two guys in like the first game. You know, and they still did well, but they were decimated by injuries. And it's almost like if we played as Great Britain in Rio and we had two injuries off the bat, we wouldn't have had that real experience of playing together and playing injured and, and covering and all that sort of stuff. And I think if you played on the series, and injuries are inevitable and you deal with it and other guys get an opportunity and stuff like this. And I think that is a key, a key moment um, that you have to practice. You know, you have to practice playing with nine guys you know or, or whatever it is you can't always play with 12 and and i think that is one of the massive benefits of having the great britain squad for like a year or two pre-olympics it gives you the opportunity to practice different things you know like scenarios injuries all this sort of stuff rather than going into it and being um, undercooked almost you know you can prepare as much as you can because i think Obviously, performance is is you know a different aspect, but you can prepare to perform, and I think if you can do all that, then when you go out there, hopefully the performance and stuff stuff will take care of itself. Um, and, and I think that just gives you an opportunity to do that by having the program. But I'm, if it were me, I would be, I would have been forcing it um, after. Rio and, and you know they asked the players what they thought I told them what I thought um, and it's it's other people's decisions and this will probably get me in trouble for saying it but I that, that's how I feel and you know being involved with it it should have happened sooner and, um, and and so we'll wait to see what comes out of this we're not in the strongest position um, in terms of uh, if you're taking a, a business to the table and saying come on board and, and, and fund this and whatever so it'll be interesting to see what the rebuttal is and, and what they come back with. But, you know, hopefully they, they see the opportunity and, and see it as a progression and, and they can sort it out and, and make the most of it. Because it's probably not for me because of my age, but if, if it does happen, it's the progression for, you know, sevens players. Um, and, you know, whether it be the, the, the 23 to 27-year-olds now that will really benefit from it, that'd be great because, you know, I've been fortunate to have my chance and have my shot already. So... Um, you know, I would I would say definitely do it because it will only benefit the future sevens players, which I think is important. Mm, clearly, well, hopefully that's what will happen.
So I guess sevens being such a global game where you play one round in one continent and the next round in another, how's it going to work with this whole pandemic? Like, is it going to resume as normal? At the moment, I, I have no idea. I mean, everywhere is going to be in different stages of pandemic, what they're, what they're dealing with where they're allowed out all that sort of stuff so as i say like before like i'm not the one paid to make these decisions but i can imagine that there will be changes on the series and changes on the circuit um whether it be that you know we're we're sort of quarantined or something like that i don't really know or you know we're, we're all interacting in i mean we all stay at the same hotels and stuff like that so that's not so much of an issue it might be that there might be extra security around that and then i don't really know about the fan situation and everything so I think the rugby as a whole has been massively affected and sevens as a game specifically is going to be something that's going to take a while to get back to its feet just because the nature of the global travel. I mean, I think we were in, um, I think we were in Hamilton and I believe one of the women's teams I think it was the Chinese women's team were one of the invitational teams for the women's tournament. And, uh, and they arrived in New Zealand. I think this was just when it was all sort of starting to, to really hit mainstream media. And I believe they actually weren't allowed to return to China um, because of uh, Olympics and hopes and all this sort of stuff. I think they were actually told that they had to stay away because of the issues that were going on in China. They had to stay out of the country. So obviously it was incredibly serious then and it wasn't you know, global in that sense. Um, but now it has become this, um, you know, global pandemic. Like, I, I don't know. We, you know, we can only do what we're told and, and wait and see and, and hope that people make the right decisions for safety of others who want to do. Then great. But if we don't, we just have to bide our time, wait and see what happens. So one thing I want to touch on just before we go into further depth in seven's career is the fact that you started out as a 15s player that you played for Harlequins and then went on to captain the Cornish Pirates. I was wondering whether you could like us about the reason behind the switch you took from going to 15 sevens. Yeah, I mean, for, for me personally, it was, it was a relatively easy decision. Um, I played in the back row, loved playing 15s. Like, I, you know, I thought it was awesome. Um, and then when I played down at the Pirates, I played there for three years. Um, and I was very fortunate to be in this side where we had some awesome players. Like coming in from university, going there, I didn't really realise how strong the team was and how good the players were. I just sort of turned up and I was like, oh yeah, so all, all teams must be like this. But we had some incredible guys that have gone on to you know win international caps. Guys that have played, you know, I don't know however many Premiership games, and they've actually been you know incredibly impactful players. And so I was very fortunate to be in that side. Um, and looking back now over my career, I could have done a lot more in my time there to potentially progress my 15s career. Um, you know, I was in a position where I was very good at what I did, and that's what I sort of did almost, rather than when I made the transition. Sorry, I, I, I stayed, I moved from 15 to 7s because... I reached almost like a glass ceiling in terms of where I could get to in terms of the 15-man game, a mixture of things, my ability, my size, and things like this. Whether that is right or wrong, it's, it's, it's one of those things. So I, I took a decision to move across to sevens um, and sort of a new challenge. I hadn't played a great deal of it, but 
a lot of coaches that I've had and the style of play that I, I was playing a lot more then was well suited to the game. And so I came across to play sevens. Looking back, almost the other way around, potentially, if I'd have done the sevens first, the way that that has improved me as a player and improved my weak points, I think I would be a much better 15s player um, than I was back then, if that makes sense. You know, I was good at what I did. And, and for Pirates, you know, they allowed me to express myself and allowed me to do that because it, it worked for the team. And, and that was awesome. You know, and they obviously, they, they tried to improve me. But, but when, you're, when you're wanting to win and all that sort of stuff, it, it's, it's slightly different. And so for me as a young player, all I wanted to do was, yeah, well, I'm good at this, so I'll just do it. But, you know, for, for a back rower, sometimes it's, you know, getting your head in there and your defence, your tackling, all that sort of stuff, which, you know, I wasn't bad at, but it was never something that we, they would say, oh, Phil Burgess, he's an amazing tackler or anything like that. You know, it was always, oh, Phil Burgess, he can attack, he can do all this sort of stuff. Um, and so that's where the sevens game was great for me because coming in and not being the Dan Norton, you know, speedsters or, you know, Tom Mitchell and all this sort of stuff, it meant that the skill set that I had was great, and, you know, the engine that I had was good for the game, but there are aspects that I needed to improve on to make myself, you know, a key player in that team. Um, and so that was why I made the switch, because I wanted a new challenge and I wanted to push myself. And, you know, it, it's it, I can't speak highly enough of the programme and also the game, because it gets a bit of a bad rep sometimes because people think it's a bit of a jolly, but... I'd love to encourage them to come on the jolly and, and you know and play the games and do the training and you know and put all the, put all the work in because obviously we have great times and we enjoy each other's company and you know we're very lucky to travel around the world but it's um it's not a jolly as they put it you know in that sense it's um it is hard work and and yeah I think anyone that's done it uh, appreciates how difficult it can be. Would you go back if you're given the opportunity? To fifteens. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I would, um, but the game of 15s has changed so much since the time that I played. I think if I'd have done my career the other way around and maybe done sevens first and really improved on certain aspects of my game that would have added to my 15s, I think I probably would have grown into my career. Um, but the way that I've done it now, I've almost, you know, I wouldn't say I've lost size and all that sort of stuff, but I'm, I'm, I'm more of an athlete now than I was a rugby player because of the, the nature of the sport. Um, you know, and I know that some guys in the back row at the moment can be like, what, 110, 115 kilos. Um, you know, when I was playing sevens, like competitively, I was probably about 90 kilos. You know, it was, you know, I, I was strong, I was lean and all that sort of stuff. But just the nature of it, you know, you get a 115 kilo guy running into a 90 kilo guy, you know, chances are, you know, nine times out of 10, that's going to end one way. Um, and, and, and so that's... I would love to go back and, and give it a good crack, um, but you, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, even with sevens at the moment, um, I know some of the Kiwi sevens boys um, with, with uh, the sort of the, the finish of the season, they've gone back to play some 15s for their local club rugby and stuff like that. So I don't know whether we'll get any club rugby this year, but um, you know, something like that would be quite fun just to get a bit of a run out and, and do something a bit different. So obviously just, moving on to a sevens career. Um, one of the big issues that was injury. So in 2014, you had a serious neck injury from a collision. Mm. How do you go about coming back, having been told that potentially it was career-ending? Yeah, I mean, that neck injury was actually... I've been very fortunate, touch wood. You know, I've broken my arm and I've had that. And, um, you know, some guys are plagued by injury and, and, and I'm, I'm pretty robust in that sense. But the, the neck injury that I had, it was, it was quite innocuous as it happened. Um, but I think it was sort of a build-up of 
um, little injuries almost, and then it, and it came down to this one collision. Um, and I always remember I was over the ball um, as a sealer, and I remember thinking, oh, someone's got to play this ball away. And then I looked down like that even more to be like, has it gone yet? And then as I did that, someone hit me on the back of the head like that. And I always remember I got hit, and then I had this like um, burning sensation that sort of went down my arm. And I was like, ah, oh, really, really hurt, really hurt. And then it went. And I thought, oh, awesome. Like, you know, it was just like a sting or something like that. Um, and, and yeah, and so from there, uh, long story short, I ended up having to get a, a steroid injection, um, ultrasound guided into my neck, which is C5, C6. Um, I had a disc bulge, which was putting pressure on the nerve that ran um, through to my tricep and my pec and stuff like this. Um, and, and yeah, it was, it was my shoulder, when we tested everything, my shoulder was stable in the sense that I could use it and I could move it and stuff like this. But because I'd lost sort of complete muscle atrophy on my pec and my tricep, they were worried that although it was stable here, if I was to get a knock in a certain direction, then I'd become really susceptible to sort of dislocations and stuff like that. And then obviously you've got, um, all sorts of things to worry about when, when it pops out. Um, and, and yeah, so it was, it was a horrible time for me because I remember we had this, this machine, it's called a complex where it can be used for pain relief, but it's also used for, um, sort of activating muscles for people that may have like long-term injuries, you know, like knees and stuff. It might be like activate your quads or your hamstrings so that it, it makes everything work right. And I always remember I had it, I, I used to put this thing on my pet, I had like two pads like this and you sit them there and you're supposed to put them on like the, where the, the muscle will fire. And so I'd put it on here and put it there and you'd put it on there and you'd set it off and it would sort of like vibrate, give you electric pulses and it warm you up. And I remember I had to put this thing on and it normally you'd put it on, depending on who you were, maybe like 10 to 40 was like the, the range. It went hugely higher, but that was sort of the range to get the result you wanted on your muscle. Um, and I remember at one point I was on like 200 which if you'd have put it anywhere else, it probably would have like ripped your muscle completely. But because I didn't have any muscle there anyway, and the nerve and whatever wasn't working, um, it was it was it was contracted. It was doing something, but it was because of the electric going into it, not because of the muscle. Um, and yeah, it was it was one of those that the from my understanding, a nerve repairs itself. But it's like one of the slowest um, things in the body to repair. Um, I think it's like a millimeter, a millimeter a week in terms of its repair. And so it can repair in time, but then if it's taken too long, then the signals are, you know, a bust and whatever. So it was a case of, you never know, it might come back, it might not. So for, for a rugby player, I was like, right, well, what do I do? And so I, I was fortunate enough that because they were happy with my shoulder and I was stable and I had some sort of strength in it, they were like, okay, well, we'll, we'll carry on. We'll see what happens. Um, and I got back and I finished that season. And then it, I think it was the next season, I was still lifting weights, but I was always, um, I was always having to do everything, dumbbells, everything, um, uh, so I wouldn't say unit, like differently. So I'd have a heavier weight in my left hand and then a different weight in my right hand. It was always one of those things that like, I'd ask someone to spot me and be like, oh, can you just pass me this weight? And they'd be like, pass it in a, oh yeah, that was different. Do you know it's different? And I'm like, yeah, I know it's different. I know it's quite a bit lighter. Um, 
and then and then randomly about two years later i remember actually because we were at penny hill park we got invited there to do one of our summer pre-season sessions and i remember i hadn't done weights up until that point in the summer i think it was one of our first sort of sessions and um they were like i'll go and do these exercises and so i went over onto the bench and i was like oh okay well you know i'll get like a 36 or whatever on, on my left hand side and i was like right okay well i'll just get like i don't know 15 kilos in my right side and I, I was doing the exercise i was like oh no that feels all right that's pretty good um and then i was like oh, well i'll try like 17 and so i got 17 and i did that um and and yeah so it, it was it was weird it almost instantaneously came back um to actually being able to lift and and then from there and it was just a case of mentally i just had to get my head around the fact that i was always going to have differences and my body has had to compensate in certain ways so that like certain lifts and certain things that I do now are are different. Like I fatigue quicker on one side than the other because of the, the nerve and all this sort of stuff, but it, it works. And yeah, it was, it was crazy because I remember thinking back to the first time I was doing bench press and I realized that it had happened. I was doing bench press and like, it just didn't work. And I was like, wow, this is, this is not good. Like, I'm supposed to be, you know, this is part of my job going to the gym. Like, how am I going to do this? Um, and, yeah, so it was, it, was, it was horrible to think that my career could end like that. But in the grand scheme of things, if it had ended like that, it would have been fine because apart from aesthetically losing my, my muscle, we used to talk that it was, um, the boys would say, like, it was like a bag of sick. Because, like, if you imagine, like, it would just, like, it just fall down to the bottom there. And so there was just, like, nothing here. Um, which I was good for my confidence. Um, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, in terms of my arm and all that sort of stuff, like I could use it absolutely fine. There was no issue. It was just that, you know, I had one good arm and one bad arm. But um, as I say, like, it was weird. Like, it was almost, I guess, like anything, isn't it? So overnight it connected. And then I just had to build back up and, and, and do that. And, and, yeah, now I just, I'm aware of it. And I do lots of neck stuff and, uh, uh, Yeah, a, a, a 10, say, for example, that can command a game. But 
there are 50 or I don't know, 20 odd scrums in the game and they're taking 25 minutes or whatever it is, the effect that you can have on that game is slightly different rather than in sevens. I think you can have a direct influence. Um, I think the, the main things are there, um, you know, the parallels in terms of the leadership, in terms of talking to the referee, um, managing expectations with him and, and managing your players in case there's any things that boil over and stuff like that. Those, those things are the same. Um, but I think sevens, you're, you're often blowing so much more that you have to be able to communicate and, and, and know exactly what you want to say, but not have the breath to say anything else at another time. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd say there are massive similarities, but there are big differences. I mean, having 80 minutes in your game gives you a lot of time to actually think, communicate, work out plans of action and, and adjust what you're doing rather than sevens potentially. Um, you know, 14 minutes, but if the ball's not in play and all this sort of stuff, you, your time's very limited. So it's got to be far more um, gut reaction and quick, hot debriefs and stuff like that. And, and then you review a lot of it after, and, and that's when the, the sort of the learning and the growing comes. Um, similarly to 15s, but I think you maybe have more opportunity on the field when you have your breaks and stuff to to actually problem solve a bit more. Mm. So I guess um, for April Fools, there was that story that um, England Sevens were training with ostrich eggs to, I guess, like fine-tune mm. ball handling skills. On a, um, are there any sort of, I guess maybe not that sort of crazy, but any sort of interesting new sort of funny ways that um, England Sevens are training so that the rest of the world would think kind of quirky? Yeah, I mean, we use all, like, we use all sorts of balls. We use, like, tennis balls, Aussie rules footballs. We wet the balls. Um, we put oil on them and stuff like this, which I think people would think of a bit quirky. Um, but we, we, we do all sorts of different things um, because seventh is one of those games that things can happen and, and you've just got to adapt to it and just get on with it. Um, we had a, a really... Uh, a, a really awesome coach that used to work with us and he was amazing at it. So a guy called Warren Abrahams. Um, and he, what he was so good at was he would create games and create scenarios that when you were playing, the rules would change, things would change almost like instantaneously. So you'd be playing a certain type of game, you know, whether it be sort of like a, an invasion game where you were trying to get over a line and score or something like that. And then a rule would change. And it wouldn't be so much that a rule would change and it would be an obvious solution, it would be a rule would change, which would mean that it would open up a lot more options for you to problem solve. Um, and I think that's, that's where sevens is, 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 is pretty awesome. And, and, and Warren was amazing at it because for me personally, at times I was like, Warren, mate, what are you doing? Uh, what's going on? And you get frustrated. But then if you think that happens on the field and instead of being what's going on, it was more a case of, right, how can I beat, the game how can i you know like it was he was never oh you can't do that you can't do this it was always we're trying to do you're trying to score you're trying to you know achieve a certain amount of passes you're trying to win a space or something like that and it was almost like do it and what might happen is you do something that was maybe not exactly what he was thinking and you'd be like right okay we can't you can only do that once and then that would change because then you'd have to think of another way of playing the game and another way of moving and, and things like that um, and that's where sevens, I think, is good because the game completely changes and adapts. Um, you know, we've had a few rule changes which have come in, and you know, I think there was a Six Nations game a while, like a couple of years ago. Was it the Italy, Italy yeah, game yeah. where like they kept from the rucks? And, and as a sevens player, I was watching it and being like, oh, "We've been doing this for a year, a year and a half," you know. And, and it's one of those that like 
someone had identified that there was this sort of gap in the you know laws or rules or whatever you call it and it's like well we can get away with doing this and so when we first played it was the first game i remember doing it being like what's he doing i can't do that and then you're like actually he can he's legally allowed to do it and then it becomes a skill that you have to practice and then you have to deal with it but then it makes your decision making on the way into a rut, for example, you have to think, right, am I going to clear that guy or am I going to watch the guy get on the floor because he might do the sneaky one? And it meant that you're aware of things and you're having to deal with different decisions. And that's where the training came in and stuff like Warren and even Simon and, and guys like that, they have done it with us. But I always remember Warren was amazing at it. He would just trick us in all sorts of ways and bring in all these rules and change things mixture to make us think but also put us under pressure and stress us so that you were almost um on teetering on the edge of being frustrated which happens in games because you're obviously so tired and sometimes you know a referee can make a decision that you don't agree with but you know if he's made the decision it happens and that's where it was good for us because we work on that peak level of i wouldn't say annoyance but it's not because you're so tired that any bad thing happens you can you know you, you sort of get um, get frustrated with it, or you can do, and, and so that's where sevens was great because you were always training at that level where they'd try and piss you off. Um, excuse my French, but and then it was almost like, um, yeah, you just got to react to that and make a make a decision that's beneficial for the team as opposed to sort of boiling over and then you know making something that is is gonna uh, and, you know, make a mistake or, or something like that. Mm. In sevens, obviously, try scoring is a massive bit of it, so much more than it is in yeah. 15. One thing I was wondering, so obviously, picking out one try in particular was your try against the US and uh, was it Sunday across field kick? Uh, yeah, yeah, in um, San Francisco. Did you prepare for those sort of things? Was that purely off the cuff? You realised it, and uh, I think it was Tom, wasn't it? Okay. Yeah, I mean, we we prepare ourselves so much as in like we do a lot of scenario training. Um, so when we when we do, you know, as I was saying about sort of working at a certain intensity, we will do scenario training where we're we're tired and we're fatigued, and then Simon or whoever the coach is at the time will say, right, it's um, thirty seconds on the clock. This is the score. Um, you know, like you know, play and see what happens. Um, but that actual that actual game, that instant, it was it was strange. I mean, we played USA so many times that year, and and they had they'd beaten us uh, loads. I mean, they were like almost the the opposite of our you know they were they were our bogey team in the sense that we could be winning and then we'd lose and you know and credit to them because they were they were great at it we just couldn't shut them down um and then going in san francisco we had a game plan of what we wanted to do um and then you know i think again we were three tries up or whatever and then they came back to draw and then we got into extra time but it was one of those situations where it was it wasn't planned in in the sense of we knew that a cross field was going to be on or anything like that it was more a case of just practicing the scenario stuff. And, and like for myself, actually, I shouldn't have even been on the end. Um, like, and, and, that's, and that's the way it is because from the kickoff, I think I picked up the ball or parry or whatever it was. So I took it in and then someone missed the clear and whatever it was. And then just the way that it worked out, when we came back to, to realign, I was on the end. Um, and like for me, because I play in the middle normally, my job in the middle is either pass the ball, feed the guys here, or see what's in front of me and see if I need to do anything here or play back the other way. And so when I was on the end, I was literally just like this. This is easy. And I was just sort of looking around and, you know, just sort of waiting to see what was happening. And, and because the sweeper had pulled up into the line, there was a massive space over the back. 
And then there, I think their last guy, I don't remember who it was, Madison Hughes, I think he pushed up ever so slightly. And so for me, it wasn't so much as a case of this is the option. I was like, well, there's the space. And Mitch and those guys were doing their own thing, like dancing around on the other side. But generally, you know, Ollie could have kicked it, Mitch could have kicked it, even Norts could have kicked it. It was more a case of I knew that that's where the space was and they're really good at defending. So I was like, well, if I can sort of signal that that's where I want to be and guys, are, you know, the vision and stuff like that was, was awesome. But I just knew that that was where space was. So I was thinking, well, if I run pretty fast and they kick it to me, then we'll hopefully score and we'll win. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't planned in, in any sense, but I think it was planned because we do all the scenario stuff um, and, you know, and all that sort of idea of the space and where's the space and, and, you know, and, and stuff like that. And unfortunately, instead of being in the middle and, you know, having to do all this, I was on the end and I had that bit more time that I actually could assess fully. So it was, um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it's a good memory though, to be fair. So with the, um, so you're involved with the silver medal, um, in the Rio Olympics 2016. Yeah. Um, so what, what are the main differences in approach? So I guess a, um, a world series weekend and the Olympics. Um, I think putting the Olympics with stuff like the World Cup and things like that, it's, you can kind of target an event like that. Um, you know, World Series is about um, backing up performances and um, being injury-free, you know, getting, getting guys on the field consistently so that you can get a team together and stuff like that rather than an Olympics or potentially a World Cup and stuff like that. It's, it's a one-off, um, you know, so it's a case of, you can be, you know, the fittest and play together and whatever, but if you get to that tournament and you're prepared to do things that people aren't expecting you to do, um, try things and whatever, it's difficult game to adapt. Um, you know, as I said, you know, 14 minutes, stuff like that. If you're doing something that is sort of, you know, like we talk about the Italy analogy, if, if you're doing something like that and you're like, well, how do I deal with it? In 14 minutes, you know, they had 40 minutes and they still couldn't even decide what they wanted to do. So for 14 minutes, you imagine it, it's, it's quite difficult. Um, but I think the mindset of having those big events like the Olympics, um, it allowed us to target what we wanted to do. Um, you know, without, without going into too much detail about Rio, we were going in as massive underdogs. We'd never played together. You know, the 12 that took the field for the first time in Rio, we'd never played together. That, that actual 12 had never played together. Um, and so going in, we had that um, sort of underdog spirit, which, you know, is great. But then also we were there and we're like, right, what do we want to do? We want to score tries and we want to get the ball back. Because what, what were we good at? We had some, well, we did, we still have like amazing attacking players. And it's almost like, well, if they don't have the ball, then they can't do what they're good at. So it was, it was just sort of one of those things going into the tournament. We're like, right, what we're going to do, we're going to pressure defence and then we're going to get the ball back. And then we're going to give it to you know, Norts and we'll give it to Marcus and we'll give it to Benzo and whatever. And then they'll do their magic stuff and then they'll score us tries. Um, and, and yeah, and that, that's, that's the thing for us in, in preparation for the big events. Sometimes it's understanding the game, but then doing stuff that is slightly unexpected. Um, yeah, and, and we were perfect for Rio because we never played together. So we had to do the unexpected because no one knew what was going on, really. Um, so as much as it was a bad thing, it, it worked in our favour because going in, no one knew what we were going to do. You know, we hadn't been on the series. We hadn't done it. So it could have gone both ways. It could have gone, you know, like that. But fortunately, because of the way that the coaching staff puts together it and, and the training camp and everything like that, you know, we were, in a, we were in a really positive place. So, um, 
uh, we'll take the win where we can. That's great. So obviously one big bit of the Olympics is the opening ceremony. I was wondering if that's a little bit how cool that was to be sort of a part of it. Yeah, it's really strange. I mean, as an event, it was it was awesome, like, you know, to, to get in. But something that you have to remember that you don't really ever consider when you're watching it is, so they have obviously the stadium bit where you walk in and, you know, you see everything and whatever. But beforehand, we were in like a massive, massive queue. <laughs> like, which is really strange because you're queuing up for like an amazing, amazing. It's a bit like theme park, you know. Um, so I think we all got bussed to a certain area, and then you come off, and and it's pretty awesome because you all the sort of Team GB guys are all together, guys and girls are all together, and we're waiting, and then you're literally just like shepherded down this like road almost, and they're like, right, you go down here, and then you like turn around there. You know, you can see the see the stadium, and then you're like just like doing this, like working your way around this little thing. Um, and then obviously everyone's getting given their flags and stuff like that. And it gets a bit more real. Um, and then, yeah, going in, it's just mad. Like, um, it, cause you know, seeing like, uh, London and stuff like that. And, and so you, it's a bit more, I wouldn't say real to me, but it was a bit like, actually, I really want to do it. Um, and yeah, like it was an incredible experience. And, and we were, when you're walking through, everyone's just so happy as well, which, Again, it's just like somewhere really nice because you've just been queuing up for like an hour or whatever to go into this thing. And normally everyone's pretty pissed off when you've been queuing for so long. But um, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was just nuts, really. Um, mm. You mentioned now that I mean, you were all waiting with the other athletes. Over the course of the two weeks, did you ever get to know any athletes sort of outside of rugby within the British? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's you, you chat to all sorts of athletes. I mean, we, we chat to quite a few on the GB team because the sort of camaraderie with, the other athletes in our block and stuff like that was 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 pretty cool because like where like down the bottom of our high rise building they had like a GB area where they had like TV set up and pretty much just showing all the sports and like you can watch it up in like your flat or whatever but generally after training you like you go get some food or whatever and you and if you were just resting you'd just come down you'd sit in there and then everyone was in there. You know, like it would, it would range people training at times, but you could be chatting to all sorts of athletes that have just been doing their thing. Like I remember judo were in there and because people's events are all at different times as well. So some would start at the start of the Olympics and then some will be at the end. And so they'd be in very different headspaces almost, mm. you know, like I remember, unfortunately, one of the, the judo girls had actually lost one of her bouts pretty early doors, which meant that she was done. And I think we'd, we'd only just arrived in camp at that time. And so, but, but yeah, it, it was pretty awesome. Like you get to know people and, you know, you get to chat to them and, and you know, see what it's about and ask them more about their sport. And you, you buy into that GB ethos, which is pretty cool. Um, in terms of athletes from other um, sports and stuff, probably after, you know, like at the parties and stuff like that, you get to chat to them. But it's, it's quite difficult when you're just sort of walking around. You know, you're like generally, if you're out and about in the um, athlete village, you're often going and doing something. You know, you're either going there or you're doing this or you're leaving the village or something like that. So you might interact with some people and, you know, at the food places and stuff like that. But you'd often see boys from other sevens teams or uh, and stuff like that. So you'd interact with them just you'd like naturally, a bit like when you used to be at school, probably. But you'd see people and you'd acknowledge them, whatever. But then you'd naturally you'd be drawn to the guys, the girls that you know more because you're like, oh, yeah, how's it going? What are you doing over there? Like, and, and finding out what they've done that's cool that you haven't done because everyone was so new to that whole experience. You, you're almost like, oh, should we do that? That was cool. And, you know, like, you're just trying to get experience. That was all it was. Like, make the most of the time that you were there. Um, so, yeah, no, that was pretty cool.
that makes sense. So you're also involved in the uh, Gold Coast, so the Commonwealth Games 2018, and you won bronze there. What was it like playing, I guess, the Home Nations Australia in the pool matches in such a big stage? Yeah. I mean, this is one of those things about that big tournament stuff. We, we'd always known, really. I think because it was knockout, I think it went straight semi-final. So although you had your three pool games, realistically, if you'd won your two pool games, your third pool game was quarterfinal because you generally play the top seed. As we were higher seed, you'd play the top seed and then it would be sort of a, a straight shootout. Um, but I always remember Simon, so our head coach, used to say, like, I remember like my second year and stuff, I think we were playing South Africa in South Africa or something like that. And he was like, you know, enjoy these experiences. You don't get many of them, like playing a home nation, you know, in their, in their, in their own backyard. And fortunately, we actually have had loads of those. But it's, it's been amazing because, firstly, they really want you to lose, which is, you know, which is, which is you know, good to, to sort of fire you up. But then you, you raise your game, whether it be yourself or the opposition, because they're playing because of their crowd and then you're playing because you really want to beat them and stuff like that. Um, and so it just makes for an awesome game. And in, and in terms of atmosphere, you're generally going to get the best atmosphere you can because if they do anything well, the crowd erupt and they, you know, they love it. And then if you do anything well, they just like jeering you or, you know, or they're quiet and stuff like that, which is, which is pretty cool in itself. Um, but yeah, I mean, playing Australia there, I remember we were pretty fired up because we knew we had, we had to win. Um, well, not, we didn't have to, we wanted to win. Um, and so it was, it was, uh, it was pretty good knowing going in that, We'd done well in the first couple of games. You know, we we sort of progressed. We'd done what we needed to do. But Australia were a completely different sort of team to Samoa. And I think it was Jamaica that we played earlier. And so it was good for us as a squad to perform again, but do something completely different. And and a couple of guys, I remember, I think Alex Davis, you know, he's been someone that struggled with injury throughout his career. But, you know, when, when he plays and when he's on, he's just ridiculously good like and, and I remember he was just in one of those games he was just so good you know and, and a couple of the youngsters really stepped up and found their feet and found their form again and you know they haven't really stopped you know like Harry Glover for example like you know you asked me four or five years ago you know would Harry be one of the, you know, the best sort of centers in the world at sevens and I'd be like not a chance and now he's you know he's he's one of the guys you'd first pick because he's you know insanely talented um and you yeah. know I wouldn't say he's toughened up, but he's, he's, he has, like, in his work. So he's, um, he's good at what he does. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to move on to what I think first has probably been the biggest moment in your career and yeah. your appearance in Scrum Diamond with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you actually end up losing to Lee Mears. I was wondering, tell us a little bit about your experience and that. That's obviously quite a Yeah, fun. it was a fix, I tell you, it was a fix. <laughs> um, yeah, he's paid him off. He's paid him off. Um, yeah, that was awesome. I mean, I've never been in, like, a professional kitchen. Um, and so to be invited in and, you know, help create so much food for so many people. And then I actually really enjoyed as well, like obviously helping to create the food and deliver it and stuff like that, but then actually going out and talking about it and, and speaking about it. Cause I, I wouldn't say I was a real foodie, um, but you almost get drawn into it because you're so involved in the making of it and the cooking and everything like this. When people ask you questions about it and you know all about it, it, it's a bit like rugby. Like I can talk about rugby all day because I know it and I'm involved with it. And in that in that instance for the scrum diamond stuff, I was in it, um, and so it was uh, it was incredibly fun. And I'm really grateful because you know, Wooden Spoon gave me the opportunity to come in and, and do it. 
Um, and yeah, and it was unfortunate that Lee Mears cheated. And um, you know, it's uh, it's one of those that go down in history as you know, the biggest upset ever. I think. <laughs> you made a, was it a blow your socks off Madras? Yeah, yeah, it was, and that was my thing because I like I like heat and I like spice, and so I had two ways to go. I could either go, this is what I like, or do I go crowd pleasing, <laughs> like you know, like a tikka masala? You know, not that I would, but you know, like take this, the heat out of it. And I always remember going around, and some people were like, oh, I loved it, it's so hot, I loved it, and then other people were there like, <laughs> like sweating and sort of saying, yeah, yeah, no, it's nice, yeah, it's a bit hot, but you know, it's nice. And I'm thinking, you really didn't like it, did you? <laughs> That's yeah, that, you can't please everybody, can you? So, that's all good. It's great. So I guess the uh, the next big dance is the Tokyo 20, I guess 2021 now Olympics. Yeah, yeah. Who would you pick in your dream team for Team GB? Mm. I mean, a lot can change over a year in terms of like form. And we've seen some guys that have come in and done incredibly well. Um, you know, and even from other other nations as well, like, you know, Scotland picked up a couple of guys that have just sort of popped, popped up and, and, you know, you've been like, oh, where, where have you been keeping these guys? Um, but I think it would have to balance, like the whole squad would have to be really balanced. Um, I mean, I'm obviously not paid to do that and I'll take myself out of the equation for now. Um, but I think in terms of leadership wise, I think you'd have to have Mitch in there. Um, I think I could give you a squad. I don't know what the starting team would be, but I think you'd have to have Mitch in there. I think you'd have to have um, Dan Bibby and Ollie Lindsay Haig. I'm biased because I'm English, but what do you expect? <laughs> Um, you know, and my reasons for that really are Bibbs and, and Mitch have played so much together. They're they're incredible on the World Series. Um, and and Ollie in, in his in his own right, he is he is a maverick, but he's he's incredible. You know, like he can do stuff that other guys can't do, and he can you know, and he can change games for you and stuff like that. So I put those three those three in probably as halfbacks. I might even have Luke Trahan in there as well, the um, the Welsh playmaker, because I think in the same way. You know the, the the leadership that he offers um, and the ability to to sort of change a game. Um, I, I put him in. Um, I think you can't ignore Dan Norton, unfortunately, as much as you want to. Um, so you probably have him in there somewhere. You know, give him give him a run out if his old bones are worth again. Um, I think who else would we have? Um, I say Harry Glover. I think would be in there. I think if Alice Davis was fit, I'd definitely take him. Um, you know, and then there's there's other wingers as well that are coming in. So I know um, uh, Tom Bowen for England's been been pretty awesome, but then you've also got Femi, um, who actually played for England, but now he's playing for Scotland. You know, in terms of his inexperience, but his sort of youth and, and desire and all that sort of stuff for, for those big games. If he can get more and more experience, then he's in with a good shout. I would have said. Um, yeah, and that, and that's and that's the thing. So, I mean, forwards based. There's lots of guys I think that are that are in there, and it all depends what you want from from the game. I mean, England, we're we're blessed with having some some amazing forwards. You know, Ethan Wilton is a little pebble that just not pebble. He's a boulder. He just like turns over ball for fun, and I think you know he, he's he, he's he's getting so much better, like year on year. Like you know, you're almost like how can he get better? And he just is each each year, which has been incredible for us, um, and good for me because hopefully it give me a bit of a rest. Um, and then, you know, we've got Charlton, we've got Chippy, we've got all these guys. It's, there's too many to choose in terms of narrowing it down. And so, and even, even for some, some of the Welsh guys, they've, they've been dropping out and dropping in players throughout the series. But I mean, Ben Roach has been there for them. Um, and he's been doing all sorts of stuff. Um, and it's been really positive for them. 
um, Scottish wise, you know, there's, there's Coombs and there's a couple of guys there that are performing, but it's all about who will come together the best, you know, and depending what sort of style of play we play, because, you know, say if we go for a real aerial threaded team, you know, like real kickoff based and stuff like that, then someone like myself or Ethan potentially, you know, might miss out because we're not the Harry Glover sized, you know, spade hands, you know, and stuff like that. And, and, and it's one of those that it would be difficult to take, but in the same way, it's what, what the plan is for the squad and what the plan is for the team and what is the best thing. Because I remember in the Commonwealth Games, for example, which you touched on, we went into that knowing that we had to win kickoffs. And so instead of having two smaller forwards play, we had two tall forwards and one sort of shorter forward almost. And that immediately means that, you know, certain, you know, you're going to miss out on certain minutes and stuff because you're not, you know, you're physically you're not the right build. Um, and so it's, it, it's, it's one of those, it depends what, I don't even know if Simon's going to be coaching, who's going to be doing it, but whoever coaches and what their plan is, um, you know, they might want just loads of nuggety, nuggety guys that are going to go around and tackle everybody. And if they do, then, you know, I know a few people that are good at that as well, but, um, it all depends. Um, you know, and I'm pretty sure as well, having another year now will allow for some of those youngsters that maybe didn't feel like they had a great opportunity last year. They maybe were a bit inexperienced. I think it will it will probably give them an opportunity to step in and you know take take um take the places away from some of the older boys, you know, like myself, stuff like that. Because you know, youth and experience, you know, it can be sometimes you know a problem. But in one-off tournaments and stuff like that, it can go both ways. You know, there can be the experienced guy that you know can hold out a game and stuff like that. But then there can be the young guy that is sort of carefree and, and win games and stuff like that. So it's about getting that right balance. And it might be that you have the old, the old guys and the young guys, you know, and, and you try and collaborate those and, and bring them on. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I don't envy whoever's got to make the selection because there are some pretty awesome players um, across all the, all the, all the nations. And I think it, it all depends what, what, what they want from the squad, I would have said. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I can't, I can't, I can't, can't give you a full, full list. There's too many. Big headache for selectors, yeah. Are there any yeah, players yeah. who, 15s players, who you think, if they committed to playing Olympics? So that was definitely talk 2016, there was one or two mm. who said they would like to if they were given the opportunity. Yeah, I think the the difficulty, there, there are some amazing 15s players that could transfer across, but I think it's difficult and twofold because one, the training regime would be, they would have to fully commit to the sevens and, you know, they'd have to, step away from 15s and do this because you can't just pick it up. You know, like guys would get some of the guys, you know, say for example, like Marcus Watson, for example, that came across and we all know how good Marcus is at sevens. He still had to come back and find his feet again. You know, although he's got amazing feet but and speed and all that sort of stuff, he still had to find Marcus Watson, the sevens player again, because, you know, like anything, you, you, you understand what you're doing in 15s and then you come back and you're like, oh, wow, you know, it is a different game. Um, so there are guys, you know, obviously like we have Rory that's um, playing at Bath and, and things like that. And those guys that have left our program uh, have done fantastically well. And so I, I think if they wanted to come back, I'm sure they would. Um, and, you know, they'd be welcomed with open arms. But the fact is that the game changes, the game develops just like the 15 game is. And so there, there would be no sort of guarantee that they'd have that same effect that they had sort of a year, two, three, four years ago. 
Um, but yeah, there are some amazing players, um, and and there's quite a few sort of youngsters as well that in the 15s game are really tearing up, you know, so outside backs wise. And you're almost like, I don't know what they'd even be like at sevens. It might be that playing, say, like fullback or something like that, they're showing their skills, but would they be able to do the same in the, in the seven-man game? I don't know. Um, yeah, that's why I think, um, say, like the, the New Zealand sevens program and, you know, in South Africa and stuff like that, they're, they're pretty awesome at bringing those guys in and being like, right, you're an outside back, but you're going to play in the centre or you're going to do this. And so it, it makes their life a bit more difficult, but then it's only going to benefit them going back um, to 15s because rather than being on the, you know, like I said, about being on the end, just, you know, sort of like, it's easy. You know, they're actually in the mix. They're having to, to actually do it. Um, and I think, you know, that, that would benefit them. So I'd be interested to see if any young lads want to come across. But then if they're doing well in 15s, you know, stepping away from the 15s game is probably not what they'd want to do um, unless they wanted to, to get an Olympic medal or, or give that a crack. But you know, I can vouch for it. It's pretty cool. But, you know, we'll... We'll cross that bridge in whoever knows how long time because this pandemic could go on forever, but hopefully not. Yeah, we've got quite a lifestyle. I'm very jealous. <laughs> um, well, I think we're closing to how much time we've got, but just one thing which we ask at the end of every podcast to whoever we have is their favourite moment in their career. I mean, you've got a pool to choose from, so I wonder mm. what, what has been yours. Favourite moment in my career? Um, I've been very lucky to to have some pretty awesome moments. I mean, you know, the San Francisco moment, you know, getting that crossfield kick and stuff like that just for the for the experience is pretty cool. But I'd probably have to say maybe having my... So I've got a little boy who is nearly two years old now and what must it have been? He... So last May, I ran out... I was captain actually at Twickenham and it was my 50th tournament. Um, and I remember like the tournament didn't go the way we wanted it to and stuff like that. But as an experience and as a memory, being able to take, so his, his name Bertie, take Bertie down to the side of the pitch and stuff like that. And like that, that was, that's probably one of my favorite moments. Um, he will understand none of it because he is literally so young and whatever. But for me as a dad, I was like, this is pretty cool. Um, getting to show him this. And, and then, you know, when he grows up and be like, oh, you've been on there. Like, you know, you know, you never know. He might get to run out there himself, but it was um, that was that was pretty cool, and and that's been a big part of why I've played rugby is for my family and 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 making them proud and stuff. And so being able to share that with not just my boy but my whole family and stuff was pretty special. So I, I'd I'd say that. Um, yeah, that must be amazing. Say that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, Phil, I just want to say thank you very much for, I guess, coming on our podcast. It was really interesting hearing about, I guess, uh, the different stories of playing on the big stages like the Olympics, Commonwealth Games, and I guess also the, the balance required in a sevens team, which I don't think when you just watch the game on TV, you don't really appreciate. So, yeah, I just want mm -hmm. to say thank you. No, um, no problem at all. Thank you for having me on. And I'd also like to give a shout out to our super fan in the Brunei, who we noticed that they've watched all our podcast episodes. Uh, we appreciate your hard work. And don't forget to follow us on the, our Instagram for any sneak peeks. The tap and go. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Take care. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.